Welcome to the third episode of What the HR. I am Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson and a board member with Twin City Sherman. As always, I am partnered here with my co-host, Mike. You guys, Mike Tool, Twin City Sherm board member and HR technology consultant with SAP Success Factors. Today's interview is with Sarah Waite, the Senior Director of HR at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota. Sarah has 25 years of HR experience, holding positions at companies such as Abra, G&K, Target, and Medtronic. She has a master's in sociology from Southern Connecticut State University and has held many speaking engagements with organizations such as Twin City Sherm, ERE, and Disrupt HR. Sarah currently serves on the board of directors for the HR Executive forum. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today for What the HR Podcast. Um, Super excited to talk to you about Blue Cross Blue Shield and what you guys are doing with the culture there. Um, We talked, you know, before on some of the things that are driving these changes, and I I certainly want to talk about that. But before we do, if you want to just tell listeners a little bit more about, you know, your role there um, and Blue Cross Blue Shield. Sure. Happy to do both. And first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really uh, excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Blue Cross Blue Shield is an insurer, so um, and people think uh, the question we often get, Blue Cross Blue Shield is a national organization, but I work for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota, so we are our own entity. We're about 5,000 employees, mostly in the Egan area. We do have a small office in Virginia, Minnesota, and I joined about seven months ago, and it's been really incredible. We have an amazing CEO who is um, always talking about how do we break glass and do things differently, and that will think um, bear out as we have our conversation today. I work as part of a really great HR team, and we are being charged with helping to drive culture change with the leaders, and so it's a pretty exciting time to be there. I'm an HR business partner um, for the health plan, so I am the business partner for the commercial, the government markets, the operations, and our health services group. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I want to start, you know, with the kind of the breaking glass and, mm-hmm. and changing things. Um, what's unique about this story is that Blue Cross Blue Shield is, is looking to redefine or or change some of their, their values, um, their mission. But it's not necessarily because of anything internally. It's because of external factors, um, which is, I think, unique. It's it's not always that companies look to change because of external things, but it's what's happening you know, be, inside the walls. So talk to us a little bit about those external factors and how they're pushing you guys to change what you're doing internally. Sure. I, I understand from your earlier podcast, you did have a discussion around um, at CH Robinson what they wanted to do within their own organization and make a internally driven change. And I think there's certainly our decision to make this change, but at the end of the day, we all know healthcare is broken. There's mm-hmm. nobody who says it's working exactly the way that it is. And so some of those factors are political. Um, some of those factors have to do with cost. Um, they say by 2030 that healthcare will be 50% of people's income. That's unsustainable. And so what's our part in trying to fix that? Uh, we also know that there's a lot of disruptors. Google and Amazon are trying talking about trying to get into healthcare. Well, what's that going to look like? Right. And if we just keep doing the same thing, we're going to have the same results. And so that's uh, going back to why Craig says we need to break some glass. If we're going to do things differently, let's really be different. So how does changing 
internally at Blue Cross Blue Shield impact, like the stats you mentioned, 20, 30, 50% of the household income? How does change internally affect external change for the consumer? Yeah, well, we believe that culture eats strategy for lunch. So if you have this really great strategy, which I believe we do, and yet everybody comes to work, does the exact same thing the exact same way, then we actually won't deliver on that strategy. So the most important thing in order for us to make the change for the customer is to start with ourselves with the customer in mind. So hopefully that makes some sense. We're asking ourselves, what do we want the customer experience to be? What are the things we need to do differently in order to deliver that? Uh, what are the ways that we operate today that do or don't allow us to do that? And maybe a real small example is um, we talk a lot about first call resolution. Who loves calling in and being passed around to 15 different people to get an answer? What can we do to focus more on first call resolution versus call time, which is how quickly do you get the person off the phone? And in order for that person who's on the phone to be able to answer your questions, we need to be able to empower them, give them more information, uh, work more collaboratively behind the scenes so that they have the information that they need. So that's just a small example of some of the kinds of things we're trying to do. So some of the things you're looking to do internally is, is around maybe process improvement or, or certain efficiencies and that's coming with then a lot of change is that change is there fear that there's resistance to the change and is that why some of the focus is around kind of changing the culture in general i'd say processes are really important i'd say mindset's even more important i i mean so let's again pick any example but um, we can write up a bunch of new steps. Let's say it takes 10 steps to do something and we can shorten it to three. But if I still think, okay, I better make sure I triple, double check it before I pass it on to the next person. And then they're going to triple, double check it before they pass it on to the next person. Like what? We haven't gained any efficiency. We haven't said at the end of the day, you know, Mike, you're the customer that we're trying to serve. And in order for you, I've heard your calls enough times to say, you know what they really want is us to do this. We need to take a risk and try something different. We need mm -hmm. to think about we need to think about how we act differently. And so that's really why we are focused so much on the values to guide those behaviors that we believe will enable us to put process changes, policy changes, some pretty significant uh, changes in, uh, across the board in terms of trying to support a reinvention of healthcare. And have, have those values been changed now or are you in the process of doing that? You know, we are. We have decided to do a slow launch, which was an interesting decision, but I also think an important one. A lot of times people kind of hold them in a little box and then there's some big event where they're like released like balloons and it's this real big day. All of a sudden we have new values and we've wanted to instead regularly talk about them, socialize them. It's been a long journey, but I think it's been really important. Um, Craig Samet is our CEO. He has talked to frontline associates in the call center. He's talked to the executive team. He's talked to leaders at all levels. And, and they've morphed. He's gotten input from people on what really matters to you, what really matters to us. We migrated from just a single word to more of phrases. We believe it's important to define what do values in action look like. So it's been, um, all of those things have been happening for a couple of months. And we have socialized and shared publicly now what the values are, but we still have a long way to go in terms of formally embedding them into some of our HR processes. So w within your culture, um, anything specific that stands out as something that you guys have done recently? I know it's a phased, phased rollout with, with some of the things, but um, what have you done 
recently that you feel have, has made a, a pretty significant impact? Well, I'll, I'll give a couple examples. Um, one is uh, we're actually taking all of our leader, leaders through a training around culture shaping. So some of that is we talk about leaders need to be accountable for culture, but do leaders even understand what that means? And so we want to make sure we create some shared language around what that means, um, some shared experiences. And then really a lot of that work is self-reflection. What am I doing every day the way that I show up? Because at the end of the day, Culture is how people feel, what people see. And the actions that each person takes makes the culture. And so I think sometimes uh, some people or organizations don't want to work on culture because it seems like it's this really enormous thing. I'd argue it's a bunch of individual things all happening in coordination, and it's how each person changes, which is in some ways harder, but it's also really important. So one example is putting the leaders through that through the, this exercise of understanding some shared definition of culture, but we're also, um, we've implemented something called Let's Debate, and instead of in meetings just having PowerPoints where you just go through the agenda, what is that sticky thing that people don't agree on and you dedicate time on the agenda to let's debate? It's mm -hmm. time for us to decide and when we leave this room, we need to be aligned. And I think that might seem small, but I think those are the kinds of things if you can build those practices of transparency and trust, that's, that's what creates a change. We talk about culture, we talk about, we have our business strategies, and then we have three enablers, um, the people enabler, technology enabler, and then our operations. And within people, diversity and inclusion is specifically one of the enablers. And we are not shying away from diversity. It's, it's frankly, it's easy to include people if we're all exactly the same. Diversity is the key to really bringing in different ideas and different ways of doing things, which ties exactly back to reinvention and being more innovative. So we believe strongly that it's important to do both. And actually, on the same day, our director of diversity and inclusion and our director of change management and culture transformation started. So we literally are launching them in tandem. Okay, so then some of the trainings that you guys are doing with your leaders is the some of the work that these two new leaders are now bringing to the organization that's embedded into this kind of workshop, if you will. Yeah, you know, the workshop is so, is the first step. So that's the, we tell everybody, you can go away for two days and have this really awe-inspiring, like, wow, that was really great, and then come back to your work and do nothing. What's really important is that it's sort of like an exercise plan. You know, we bought the cute running shoes, now we have to put them on and actually work out. And so that's the work. And so today, for example, I was meeting with our commercial team and we were going back to, well, when we had the culture-shaping session, here's some of the things you guys identified as our we will statements. So if one of the things that comes out of those sessions is what will we do as a leadership team? And you make a commitment to these are some of the behaviors and the ways that we want to show up. Well, we want to revisit them and say, okay, well, we said we would be doing these things. How are we doing? What do we need to do differently? How do our associates know that we've made these changes? How are we being public about these changes? So um, again, as we go forward, we are another pillar in the people enabler is associate development, which is at all levels. Individual contributors need to have access to development and careers, um, and leaders need to enable that and be leading inclusively, creating career opportunities for others, and understanding that both the what and the how of their jobs matter equally. 
So that's a whole lot to unpack, but that's, a we believe, again, a really important part of making the kind of culture that we want. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of things you said to unpack. Talked a little bit about um, the change management that's required with everything that you guys are doing and how you're going about it. Yeah, I think one of the things about culture that also gets people anxious is, um, especially, we have a lot of tenured employees. And so when you talk about a culture change, the first thing people th- tend to worry about is individually, um, well, what, what was wrong with what I did? I was doing, I thought I was doing a good job. And it's really important that when you're making a change, it isn't sort of to dismiss all the things that came before you. Um, There's a lot of incredible things about Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota that wouldn't have, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't done those things. We have an amazing mission. We have a lot of incredibly dedicated associates. So you want to make sure that those things are honored. And then it's sort of the, the next important piece is talking about, so if we know these are the things that are important to us, What do we need to do in order to do them in this new, more competitive, Mm -hmm. more costly environment? Because doing the same things that made us successful in the past won't continue to make us successful in the future. So that's one piece, having a bridge. Then it's also important to acknowledge maybe some things we hadn't done as well or enough of. Um, We are an insurance company at the end of the day, and insurance is built on risk management. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to flip that on its head and say, we need to be really taking more risks so that we can, at the end of the day, focus on wellness. And so for us, we really want to think about how are we changing people's mindset of what a good job looks like, which means knowing exactly what the steps are and doing them perfectly, um, to saying, we don't know what all the steps are because the, the steps might be changing, but what's important is that we help to keep our end customer healthy. Right. Yeah. And, and as we mentioned in the beginning, like these are external forces pushing a lot of the change. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is interesting because I think sometimes people think when you want to change your culture, it's because something's broken. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it sounds like you guys may have had a good culture, but mm-hmm. because of the external things that are happening, you got to change anyways to be competitive and serve your customer the best way. Um, results so far with kind of how things are going, if, you know, it was this, I know it sounds a little early and you guys are piecing it out, but are you satisfied with how it's going so far? And talk a little bit about the results. Yeah, I'd say both are true. Um, We're very early in the journey, but we are seeing some important things that have happened. So uh, our CEO starts all of his meetings with the values in action, where he recognizes people for the values that he sees in action and is asking leaders to cascade that and do the same. Uh, I mentioned this debate and discuss. I I don't think that, I think that's a really healthy and important thing to um, encourage people to take time to do that. Uh, On top of that, again, these may be some small things, but I think there's some important things. Um, We had an idea around meeting management. I mean, nobody goes to work and says, I wish I had more meetings. (laughs) And um, that came up as one of the biggest barriers to leaders having time to either work on the blue chips, the most important work that they have, or spending time with their team. So what do we need to do around meetings? And we did some work around making meetings more effective. But we were in a meeting uh, on a Friday talking about this concept, and somebody said, what if we went to no meeting Fridays? What if we just said, we're just not going to have meetings on Fridays? And it turned out we had an all-leader meeting on Monday, and the question was, what would it take for us to announce that on Monday? 
that's the kind of stuff we would have never done. You know, we didn't have a committee. We didn't have a policy. We didn't have, we were like, well, I guess it would take us as the leadership team agreeing that we can agree to that. There's some parameters around external customers. It's not an absolute. But as an idea and a pilot, why wouldn't we try it? The worst thing that happens is it doesn't work and then we have to go back to the way that we were. And I think it's those kinds of things where you just take a chance and try something that it's the, it's the accumulation of those everyday examples that will help to change our culture. How do you balance the kind of try it mentality? Mm -hmm. um, because there's always a risk there of when you just kind of the new flavor of the week mm -hmm. um, and you try stuff and, it, and then you change and you try again or um, how do you make the decision whether you know trying it isn't going to affect anything yeah I think we're trying it in areas that are I mean everybody knows that meetings don't work the way they are so it was it's hard to go down <laughs> I mean I don't think anybody was going to say um, we could make meetings worse by trying to have less of them um, but I also think that's one of the things we actually need to be okay with boy we tried that and that totally sucked so we learned something here's what we won't do again but here's the nugget that we want to carry forward and actually Craig our CEO is asking, in fact, even in our quarterly conversations, ask associates, what did, what risk did you take? What lesson did you learn? And what are you going to do differently next time? And that, if we can start by asking those kinds of things and expect iterations, expect changes, I think that um, we need to change the mindset to say, uh, that it's not that things are going to be wholly different every day and you're never going to know what's going on, but that other than the kind of the clear priorities that we've set, the things that we're going to test to get there are probably going to take, you know, a lot of different approaches before we land on the one that's right. Yeah. Well, I think reducing meetings is a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I, I think that was a pretty <laughs> that, safe that one to try. That one's kind of a softball, right? Yep. You know that's going to land. I... I want to kind of take us back a little bit to the beginning. I'm curious around the values yeah. specifically. Can you walk our listeners through the exercises that you guys went through in order to develop these values? Yeah, they were in a series of meetings, both formal and informal. So a for example is we have a call center in Mid-City and Craig came out and brought the values that he was working on and asked the people who answer the phones, these are some of the things I'm thinking about. What are you thinking about? What do you hear? If we actually changed a few things, what would make your life better? What would make our customers' lives better? Does this phrase make any sense to you? Because there's nothing worse than values that it's like, what does that actually really mean? Or they sound completely like corporate speak. Um, or also things that are sort of like, well, no, duh, of course you're going to do that. That's sort of the basics that we all get for being a, an employee of any company anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think he did some of those things. We also did a voting, a poll voting exercise in a leadership team meeting where he put some things up and then we had the smartphone voting where you know, vote for these things, vote for your top two and then you know, kind of the word clouds come up and you get to kind of multi-vote on things. So focus groups, small groups, big groups, um, wordsmithing groups, but I think there is a lot of input over, and that, you know, back to Mike's point around does, at some point do associates or people start to feel like, do you know where you're going? There were some people who were getting anxious about this process of, I don't understand why we don't know what we want this to be, and other people who were saying, boy, I'm really appreciative that before we land this, we're taking the time to be thoughtful and think about it and shape it. 
And even that's just culture. I mean, people are going to process things differently. People are going to have different reactions to things. But I think being transparent all along, it was never stated that this first iteration was the final. I think it was different for people to experience iteration. And so um, in the end, I think a lot of people feel like, yeah, I I got to weigh on in that. And now I understand this is how we've landed here. Yeah. And when they're able to weigh in on it, they buy into it better Mm -hmm. too, right? I agree. Can you indicate what the timeline was from when you started the process to when you guys actually landed on those values? So I've been at Blue Cross for about seven months, and my very first day was a board meeting where we were kicking off the culture work that we wanted to land to, to launch, excuse me. And so um, the values had not quite started then. So I'm going to say roughly a six month timeline of kind of, and we had values um, mm-hmm. that were in. Um, that were used across the organization today. So that was also important to look at what do we have and what are we changing and why are we changing? Um, But I do think, again, this process of trying to look at it from as many different angles as possible and making sure that the values, if we do these things, will we in fact improve the experience of our customer does doing these things allow us to transform healthcare? That was really the North Star that helped us to land on the end. Okay. And then I know uh, you guys are in the early phases of rolling this out. Um, Besides including it in communications or maybe part of your hiring practices, which I'd like to talk a little bit more about too, like you are obviously embedding this in the culture of the employees that are existing within Blue Cross Blue Shield, but how have you guys thought about how you will incorporate this into competencies or characteristics or Mm -hmm. things you're looking for and new people you bring into the organization? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll let you answer that and then I've got to follow up. Of course. Well, I think you're right. We actually have... um we have a group called the Culture Leadership Team, and I'm a member of that, and then I'm a member of the sub-team on the kind of HR policies and practices, and so we are looking practically at how do you embed it in things like the interview questions, how do we develop people explain what it means to do these values, and then if I'm not strong in one of them, what are some activities or actions I can take to improve upon them? How are they going to show up in our leadership development classes and our individual uh, individual contributor development? Um, our CEO has been very clear. He is looking for values in action recognition CEO award next year, so we're going to both look at how do we do peer nominations that I could send you a card that said, thank you for helping us succeed together. I really appreciated it when you da-da-da-da-da. But also that there could be a more formal recognition that those individual thank yous could get rolled up into a pretty prestigious internal recognition. Communications is going to be huge. It'll have to be part of our internal communications um, and the way that we talk about any of the mess- any of the things that we're doing across the organization. I think it's equally important that it isn't Um, just HR that is doing these things. So I'm getting excited when I hear my business leaders talking about in operations, we we win when we succeed together. We need to put the customer first. So let's talk about how are we going to solve that problem. I need to see 
the customer service team own it if we're going to figure this out. So it really becomes real when um, certainly we need reinforcement. And um, I didn't even mention the performance review process. It's, right? There's so many places where we need to make sure it shows up. But it's even better. And I'd say maybe more important that it shows up in you know the day-to-day business as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you kind of touched on the second pronged piece of my question was performance reviews mm-hmm. and you know, are, are those some of the things that you guys are th- kind of forecasting as ways that you'll keep these alive within the organization? And it sounds like you guys are already thinking about those. It's just that you're maybe not quite there yet as part, as part of the phased approach. We're not. And so we're kind of in this interesting um, transition year where we want to make sure people are hearing the new values, but do you put new values on a performance review for the end of the year when they weren't the values for the whole year? Um, and sometimes you just have to be a little bit practical and say, you know, what for now let's talk about let's talk about what's coming forward and the expectations for next year but these are also not things that are so wholly unknown or different that we can't say they're things that you should have done maybe we won't give you a rating on them but we will hopefully see people giving feedback around some of these elements about how you were remarkable or etc in the way that they give reviews um, so those are some of the things that we're talking about we're also talking a lot about um, and this is a pretty hot topic I think on the notion of what and how when you rate people's performance is it enough for me to be awesome at the technical side of my job if I'm perhaps rolling over people or leaving dead bodies in my wake and how do you wait and how do you give um, credence to both parts of those being part of performance and I think that how we handle that and message that will be really important and a big part of our 2020 work. Yeah, you're speaking to my soul. (laughs) We have that going on right now, too, within our organization. And it's a tricky balance, for Mm -hmm. sure. And then I just had one more clarifying question. I just wanted to make sure, just for our listeners, the value work you guys are doing, Mm -hmm. you're you're not currently making any adjustments to your mission or your vision. No, we've done that as well. Oh, you have? Mm -hmm. Okay, and has that been tied into this work, or is it separate? Nope, it's all... I mean, it's sort of one of those things when you start unpacking one box, the next one naturally happens. I mean, if you're going to have a whole new strategy, then you sort of look up and you say, is our mission bold enough for what we're trying to do? And is it serving us in the way that we want it to? And is it resonating and and relevant in today's marketplace? And so we have done mission, vision, values, new strategy. So from going back to earlier when, you know, Mike asked about change management, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for people to um, experience all at the same time. On the other hand, it would also be incomplete and probably harder to deliver if you didn't really put them all together. And so even just some of those things are the elements of culture change is just saying, you know, we are going to have to get more comfortable with things changing in in a group and, and seeing things that are going to change. If you tinker on one part of the system, it's going to cause changes downstream. And how do we bring people along? Mm-hmm. Um, I see this question a lot, and I want your perspective. And then I, uh, I may or may not challenge <laughs> the answer. Um, but who owns culture? You said it earlier that it's. I know the answer is not just HR, but in your opinion, um, does somebody have to own it? Because if you put the onus on everyone, that's the tall order. 
I think it's really important that HR does not believe that it is the primary or most importantly only owner of culture. Um, at the end of the day, we have a role. We even were very intentional in calling it a people enabler and not an HR enabler. You know, science data and associate feedback would tell you that my engagement is set by my direct manager. Most people think of the company as the person that they work for. That's that's who drives their employee experience as their leader. So I think it would be incredibly important that all leaders believe they are the owner of the culture because at the end of the day, they are. Uh, they create the experiences that people have and I believe really strongly that that's what culture is. It's what we see and what we feel every day. Uh, now, I agree with you. It's sort of like, you know, we have police for a reason. If we expected, if we just said we have laws and we trust that you're all going to obey them, not that I want HR to be, uh, you know, held in equivalent to policing, but the notion is you can put something out there. It doesn't mean it doesn't need reinforcement, further exploration, supporting mechanisms, all those kinds of, it, it, I, I would instead of saying policing, saying our primary job is coaching to that culture, right. and our job is to help make sure that leaders are able to bring it to life, that associates understand um, what they need to do to make these culture, make these values real. Absolutely, and, and it's, it's a tricky question because uh, culture is hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. You know, like how do you really measure it? I think it's a little bit of a feeling. Um, and there's certainly business results tied to it, but I've just, I've seen a lot of you know, posts on social media about who owns it. And it's almost this idea that uh, it maybe starts with HR, but then it needs to kind of transcend to every other area. So um, perfect. I mean, great answer. That's, that's what I was kind of hoping to hear. Um, talk a little bit more about the communication to employees about this and is there are there employees that aren't on board and if they're not on board what do you do yeah I'll, I'll start with the end I I suspect there are I suspect that there are people who like things the way that they've been and we're talking a lot right now about kind of cultural moments that come up and when you see them kind of try to grab them and then bring them forward to have a conversation about them. So maybe it was, um, I said something not nice to you and, um, you know, did anybody call me on it or did they just let, let that moment go? Um, you know, in a, in a culture where we're transparent with each other, it's not okay for me to do that. It's also not okay for somebody to not call me on it. So, you know, if we see those things happening and Jess was in the room, you know, you should you should know that it's your job to tell me about it, and I should know that you're doing that. I should assume positive intent and believe that you're doing that to help me be better. Mm -hmm. So um, are there people who are comfortable with that, who are not comfortable with that? Of course there are. And so um, we're moving people's cheese. I mean, we're asking them to think differently, do things differently. Um, some people really like to be expert and be absolutely masters of the known process and have refined it to a point where they know exactly what to do in a repeatable process. Um, healthcare is very much not a repeatable world right now. And, and, and so the question becomes, um, starting with you know, positive intent, let me understand what is getting in your, what are the things that you want to make sure we're honoring and that we hold on to? Let me be curious and understand um, what have you tried, what's getting in your way, how can I help? 
And then at the end of the day, I mean, this is where the ship is going and we have a room for you. But if you don't want this room, there's plenty of other boats in the sea. Right. To put it bluntly, right? <laughs> I mean, by your choice or ours, but right. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with people saying this has changed and it's not what I originally signed up for and I'm looking for something different. I really applaud people who know themselves well enough to know that's true. Um, and I'm hopeful that most people will find and the overwhelming feedback we're getting is people are feeling really excited and empowered and um, have been waiting for this moment. So I think by and large, the feedback we're getting is um, this is what I've always wanted. Agreed. Um, for people who maybe are just starting this journey, um, landmines, roadblocks that you can kind of help them navigate as they as they kind of start the journey and then also when they get into it, what can they expect? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to sometimes people make culture super complicated or start it with at the top with a small group of people and work it to perfection and then roll it out. And I just think I've my last four companies have all been involved in some form of culture change and I think that the success lies in allowing everybody to have a voice in what it looks like and not overcomplicating it. Um, I love HR. I've been in HR all of my career. Sometimes I think we make things so much more complicated than they need to be. Let our associates tell us what they want and what they value. That is the culture that matters is the things that people are here to do. We also need to make sure it ties to and supports the business, but tapping into the voice of many and understanding what matters. Um, I also think, again, of course, making sure that it solves the business problems that you're going after. I think, again, sometimes maybe HR, it's easy to talk about, we want a world where, you know, it's you know rainbows and puppies. Is that really, is that really the business most important thing for us to have? I think, I think, um, there's a lot of push from sort of that, um, how do you honor the people feeling included um, isn't the same thing as everybody feeling comfortable. And so how do you manage the, the tension? And then really just holding leaders accountable. It's super easy to plaster, plaster a whole bunch of new words on the wall. Um, and if you're not ready to do the things that you've stated, the worst thing you can do is print a bunch of t-shirts. People see right through that. So better to start small with actions and build momentum than start with some big bang and then let people down. That's my opinion. Yeah. What are you guys doing to, to get the feedback from your employees? You, you mentioned that's a big piece of it is hearing from them. And um, we've talked about surveys and, and things like that. I think the, the annual survey is becoming obsolete people are realizing that you can't just take a survey once a year and be able to act on it quick enough to enhance the employee experience. What are you guys doing? Yeah, I think, boy, that's definitely, I wish if I had the secret sauce to that, I'd be selling it somewhere. Yeah. But I think um, we have taken both a culture survey um, and our own associate survey, right, because we're sort of in this transition phase. And we know that we need to do more live pulsing. We need to do more feedback groups. Um, I think, again, a lot of it is going to be, you know, some of our long-term goals are seeing an increased promotion rate into leadership levels by our associates. That would tell us that we are hiring for and developing people who model our values and they stay with us and 
they are able to then take on leadership roles, that we see an increase in diversity in our pools at all levels, that would tell us that we're creating a culture where all people feel welcome and valued. Um, so, so there's some of those things, but I think a lot of it is just regular conversations. I, I, I go back to the comment I mentioned about just asking people, what risk did you take? What did you learn? I think if we can um, get associates to, on a regular basis, have conversations around those things. Um, but it's, it's an important question that you've asked. How do you both measure and keep it real? Right. I have a quick follow-up question to that. So that is the whole purpose of like, not purpose, but philosophy around, hey, I'm encouraging you to take risks, learn from those mistakes, and then move on has, has been something that has been, we've been working on in our culture as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because, and maybe you can help me to understand like the average tenure of some of your leaders within Blue Cross Blue Shield, but we have quite a few tenured leaders. And so I think that there's always this sort of paranoia, for lack of better words, like, oh my gosh, if, if I make a mistake as a leader, or if one of my people makes a mistake, it's going to be a reflection on me as a leader. And then how much risk is okay risk or supported risk? So how are you guys navigating those waters when you're encouraging it, but there's apprehension and people are maybe still concerned, like, will I get written up for this to slap on the hand? Or will I be told, hey, you know, that was an unfortunate situation, but let's talk through what you learned from it. And then let's pivot and do do it better the next time? Well, that's um, a very timely question for a, a few uh, reasons. You've described us also pretty well in that, uh, in that scenario there. And what we are hearing, to be completely candid, is so we hear Craig, the CEO, saying and acting this way. We're starting to see his direct report team saying things and acting this way. We're even starting to see some measure of this going down to the next level of the organization. But like I said, my manager is really my culture, my employee experience, and I'm not seeing that from him or her. And at the same time, the associates are feeling now empowered and asked to try new and different things because Craig is directly asking associates to try and do different things. So some of that's intentional. You do have to, uh, we call it the frozen middle, and you do kind of need heat from both sides in order to thaw that middle. Um, but you also have to, so I think it starts with what are the things getting in their manager's way? How can we help them? Which is why we started by investing in these training sessions to help give people some both vision tools and confidence in what those things mean. But it is also important that um, it's going to be an ongoing process and tension is part of change. It would be naive to think otherwise. Um, and interestingly, my Monday blog is going to be about this very topic, about how we were talking about innovation and the initial thought is we should do a shark tank. And at the end of the day, that's probably the last thing we should do. We need more safe water for people to feel comfortable taking risk. And those are two very different ways about looking at innovation. So um, I think that is going to be a challenge for us, but a, a good one to just get comfortable wrestling with how do you how do you control failure in a sense of so you hear a lot these days about permission to fail mm -hmm. we want you to fail like that's okay but there are some failures that can have a significant impact on the business mm -hmm. and i mean the easy thing is well use common sense um, i think we all know that sometimes that's not the case 
And so how do you, I guess, communicate that to somebody? Like, hey, we want you to go out. We want you to risk, be risky, and you're, it's okay to fail. But you can't necessarily fail in these areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, even just the word fail, there was some really strong and different reactions to that mm-hmm. word. Um, some people are like, embrace failure. We need to be all about talking about failure. Other people are saying, well, we're not trying to promote failure. Um, but again, even just that wrestling as a culture right. opportunity. I think, you know, there's one thing to say. So Craig said to break glass. So all of a sudden I'm going to give rebates to every single person who calls in with a complaint like that. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, let me give one external example and then I can come back and give some internal examples. We had the opportunity to go benchmark T-Mobile and um, they were recently written up in a Harvard business case for some of the things they're doing around culture. It's pretty crazy amazing. And um, their call center in um, that we visited in Idaho is been has been the number one place to work in the state of Idaho for the last three years. They've won best place to work. The call center? The call center. So um, for point of reference, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so how can that be true? Well, a couple of things they've done there is they were no so they set up their T-Mobile groups by um, by area that they support and so the group that supported Salt Lake City was noticing that there was a drop off rate of people canceling their phones um, and they were trying to figure out what that was about well the associates had enough information that they could see literally the data and the research to figure out it appears to be when people are going on their mission trips, they can't take their phone with them. And then they were also smart enough to say, but I don't see that they can't take a tablet with them. So what if we were able to put somebody's phone number on hold, switch their account to a tablet, and then when they come back, switch them back to the phone number? That way we could retain the customer, we could save the credit, we could do all these things. Like, how incredible is that? Mm-hmm. To give frontline employees that kind of information and empowerment. Is it a risk to say, let's try that? It's an informed risk. So I just wanted to share that example because I think that's sort of a such an out-of-the-box kind of a thing. For us, it's not risk without information. It's first start with research, first understand sort of your SWOT analysis, go in knowing what are my options and what's my recovery but don't stay in the safe lane. I mean, if all you do is always the thing that you know exactly what to do, we won't make a change. Well, and that's a great, I love the T-Mobile story. And I think the, the thing that brings both those together is it's the customer experience, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, as long as you're doing the right thing for the customer, um, I think most CEOs or managers will have some forgiveness around that. As long as that's the, the main driver. I think a lot of times we are held back by what we imagine is the worst case scenario. So start by talking. I mean, all of us in HR, oh my God, we could never not have ratings. Now we can debate if it's a good idea to have ratings or not a good idea to have ratings, but people have done it and companies haven't gone out of business without having ratings. Again, plenty of opinions on both sides of the aisle about that one. But I think there's so many things that we are just well, you have to. The only way that this could work is if we do it this way. And I think it's sort of like myth-busting thinking, well, what if we didn't do it that way? What else would be possible? What would we have to have a contingency for? What else might we have to think through? What other partners would be necessary? 
and maybe you don't try it for all of the customers that you have in the state of Minnesota, but maybe you know um, there's a particular patient population or a particular customer group that trying this out with would be a good place to learn. Um, I think that's what we're trying to mm-hmm. trying to encourage. I think Mike touched on this a little bit, but I think it would be great for our listeners to know if they are maybe starting this process themselves or maybe they're thinking about implementing some changes, whether it's mission vision values or maybe it's more from a DNI perspective or there's just some form of a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. Any recommendations that you would have for them on just how to get started and maybe what stakeholders to leverage? Yeah, I think, you know, it it always should start with the business, which really should start with the customer. So um, whether it's diversity or whether it's culture um, or whether it's your business strategy, you know, what is it that, who are we trying to serve? What is it that they want? What are we delivering today? Where are those possible gaps? So I, I think if we keep that line of thinking, um, you know, understanding why would we do this? Some of the things you're doing in your culture might be perfect for your current state and your customer group and wouldn't make any sense to us, um, and vice versa. Other things may be more universal that do apply to multiple groups. So it's important to, it's important that we didn't go to T-Mobile and say, whoa, everything they're doing is awesome. We should cut and paste it and do it all here. On the other hand, there's some crazy awesome things they're doing that we should totally cut and paste and bring them over and do them here. So, How did the T-Mobile thing come about? And we were doing benchmarking, um, and our head of our customer service group is also the head of our customer experience area. And so really looking through the lens of how do we get better at what we are doing. Um, there's a lot of similarities between their CEO and our CEO in terms of um, they're the uncarrier. You know, that's again a holy grail. How can you be in business if you don't have a plan that you have to buy that mm-hmm. that would immediately make make us lose all of our customers? That hasn't happened. They have the highest NPS score of any carrier. They have a higher NPS score than we do, so they're obviously doing some things right. Um, so reading the article, um, following them, and asking, there were several other companies out there, multi-industry, benchmarking what they were doing. So um, I think that is, uh, that's how we got to T-Mobile. I would do also want to go back to your question about um, if you're starting from the beginning. So I think it's, um, it's being thoughtful with understanding the customer, understanding the business, and then understanding what we would change and why we would do it. I think it's also important to think about um, sequencing things. It's it, it it is there's so like I said, if you uncover one rock, it usually leads to another, which leads to another. How much capacity do we have? What are we ready to do? How long do we want to give ourselves to take it? But I also think there's some the very simplest thing that would be easy for anybody to do, even if they're not looking to do some programmatic changes, you know who are some of your most valued employees, whether they're your newly hired diverse employees, whether they're your strongest technical contributors, whether they're your high potentials, whether there's some cross-section of that group. Pull them together and ask them, what do you love about working here? What makes you crazy about working here? If you could change one thing about working here, what would you want it to be? Listen to what they're telling you and try something. Mm -hmm. Just getting in the water is a great way to start. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. All about listening, right? Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having, um, or thank you so much for your willingness, if you will, to be on our podcast today. I'm sure our listeners might be interested in connecting with you after they've had a chance to listen today. So can you, would you be willing to share where they can catch up with you at? And then also if there's um, anything you have going on at Blue Cross Blue Shield that you'd like to share with our listeners too, please do so. I would be glad to. I am on LinkedIn and feel free to find me there. Um, I mentioned I have a blog. Feel free to track me there. I would love to have you read and also hear from you on your reactions. And um, I'm always excited to support TC Sherm. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Awesome. Was there anything for Blue Cross Blue Shield specifically that you wanted to? I encourage you to look at we are growing. And so I always encourage you to look at where we might have opportunities that would fit you or a great referral. So I would be remiss not to encourage people to look at the opportunities that we have posted. And um, we are certainly looking for people with the same passion to reinvent healthcare to come and join us. Okay, perfect. Um, For our listeners, we will include a link to Sarah's blog on the TC Sherm website um, underneath our podcast page, um, or you can reach out to Sarah via LinkedIn, as she indicated, and she can share that blog link with you as well. So thanks again, Sarah. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. Also, while you're subscribing, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and include comments. The ratings and comments really help to promote the podcast and increase interest in topics that we're covering. And if you choose to leave comments, we might select your review to read during our next episode. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, do us a huge favor and share with your network, your boss, your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when it's done well. If you have suggestions for show topics or people that you would like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That is tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about what Twin Cities Sherm and our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use the code WHATTHR at checkout and you will receive $20 off your membership. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next episode.